it's difficult because we want to hold a, a balance, right, between on the one hand saying, you know, there there is truth and we are pursuing that and we do want to, you know, have the right beliefs as much as possible. Um, but then on the other side, we, we don't want to make that into, make the beliefs themselves an idol and we don't want to, um, especially on these issues of Western importance, we don't want to be breaking fellowship with fellow Christians because they disagree or, or even just behaving in an unloving manner because, you know, someone, we think they're wrong. Um, and it's hard to do. It's hard to have that balance, to, to be living in, aiming for faith as opposed to just complete uh, exclusive certainty that feels obliged to constantly go around saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and we can't run this soup kitchen together. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcasts. Podcasts? <laughs> Podcasts. Are we plural? Dude, I'm tired. <laughs> so am I, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm John. <laughs> and we've got another tasty treat for you guys today. So I hope you guys are all doing well. A um, couple quick things. You know, we've, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot of new people kind of latch on. Lots of new emails and tweets and Patreons and... Yeah. Um, I don't know how, but, but welcome. But welcome. Yeah. We're glad you found us. Yes. We are so glad. A lot of recommendations on, uh, on guests and uh, just great conversations. So I just wanted to say, everybody that's still engaging, um, thank you for putting up with um, early years of production problems and Adam outbursts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for still being here. And new yeah. people, Welcome. Yeah, and we're glad you didn't start at the beginning. Please, and please don't. <laughs> please don't ever. <laughs> so, funny story, uh, Adam and I were going back through the archives, and we were like, I wonder if we can clean up some of the early episodes that where the sound quality isn't as good and everything, and they, it, they're, it, no. No. Just a hot mess. Those are just spaghetti thrown at the wall, and they're always going to be that way. <laughs> yep. We're going to leave them out there just for posterity. And we don't really care. Nope. Because how are we even doing this anyway? That's <laughs> true. Oh my gosh. So we've, we've got a really cool guest this week. Um, Bonnie Christian with a K. Christian with a K. Um, she's a theological and political writer with a national following. She has columns and bylines at publications, including The Week, Rare, Time, CNN, Relevant, Politico, The Hill, Renew, and The American Conservative. And uh, she has this really cool book out um, that we speak to her about on this episode called A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today. And um, one of the, the reasons we had her on is because it's a really cool, first of all, it's a really cool book, and we talk about how she kind of um, structured it, but it's like a really neat overview, I think, of mm. different perspectives on the different doctrinal ideas, anything from like atonement theory to um, like gay marriage and, and all sorts of different uh, topics. And it, she just provides like a whole bunch of different perspectives uh, within each chapter and then some discussion points at the end. So it's just a really cool book. I, I love the idea behind it, and um, she was just really fun to talk to. Do you know who's really going to love this book? I'm going to tee this up. There's people listening to the show right now, and you have to have, maybe you've come a, a little bit out into the open as somebody who's asking questions, 
and oh, yeah. and you you've been met with some resistance from family or friends or pastor or whatever and maybe just maybe it would be helpful for you to have a very almost a pocket resource of the fact that maybe not everybody has always seen things exactly the same way in our faith tradition maybe there's been some diversity and maybe it'd be great if somebody actually put a discussion guide together that highlighted all the different church fathers and mothers and thinkers from all different eras and all different denominations that actually have differing views. And maybe it's okay that I'm asking these questions right now. If you need a book like that, or if you need an author like that, this is going to be the podcast for you and everybody else. You're just going to love um, all the things we talk about and um, just reiterating time and time again, that deconstruction is a positive thing. It is not a negative thing. It is beautiful to explore your faith. It is beautiful to explore the world um, ideas of God. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to take ownership and not be somebody that's just having somebody do it all for them. It's, it's great. You're going to like this. What else we got? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a, a really cool book. It's got a lot of other resources too that it points you towards. So if you're interested in learning more about like Pentecostalism or um, you know, Messianic Judaism, like here are some other resources. So she points you in some different directions. So good. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, thank you. Thank you so much to the, the new, uh, patrons that we have on our Patreon campaign. Um, that's something that you're interested in and you want us to send you personally hand mail you, uh, some things and support us, um, and be a part of what we're doing. Um, we've got a cool book club where we curate books every month and we ship you out a book comes right to your doorstep um, and uh, a bunch of other cool stuff on there. Um, if you like our music that we use every week, um, you can join our Spotify playlist and we update it uh, every time we drop a new episode with whoever that artist is, a song by them. And, and did you see one yeah. of our listeners just created a Google playlist based on your Spotify playlist and he is now updating a Google playlist no ba- based on your Spotify playlist? <laughs> I just tweeted it out today. I was like, you listeners, you guys are so That's amazing. freaking cool. I didn't even know Google had a playlist. I didn't either. <laughs> See? I don't even have Facebook. <laughs> it's true, you don't. I have nothing. I barely <laughs> operate on Twitter a little bit. and then uh, You do way better than I do. I, and I've just fallen behind. Life's busy right now. It Kid, really is. Kids and family and job. But this was a fun interview. We love doing this with you guys. So you want to learn anything more, go to www.deconstructions.com. Thanks again to Ryan Battles for that and everybody that's supporting us in any way, shape, or form. Just maybe even sending us some positive vibes. Yeah. Or iTunes reviews that aren't cruel <laughs> and unusual. <laughs> there was one recently that was pretty brutal. <laughs> I immediately texted because I never read the reviews and I was like, ouch, dude. <laughs> Adam texted me a review in the middle of my workout and I was just like, I had to stop. <laughs> and I was like, oh, ow. Ow. I've just gotten to the point where I'm just like, Ugh, well, I am who I am. I know. It's okay, <laughs> man. The people love you. Well, the right, the, the peop, my people That's right. understand that I'm a seven, and we have railed that, reined that in quite a bit over the last few years. <laughs> so, true. Without further ado, here's the next tasty treat for you guys. We, we give you a flexible faith with Bonnie freaking Christian.
right, well, we're here with uh, Bonnie Christian. She's got a new book out. She's a, a good conversationalist, writes a lot of stuff, talks about a lot of stuff, and loves to dig into the things we love to dig into here on the Deconstructionist Podcast. So, Bonnie, we're so glad to have you with us. We're looking forward to a good conversation. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So I think, I think a great place to start um, for our listeners is, uh, you know, maybe some of them who aren't um, as familiar with your work. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, you know, kind of your background and how you got into the work that you do today. Sure. Um, so I'm a writer and uh, most of the writing that I do on a week to week basis is more about politics and current events, although certainly I do sometimes get into some theology as well. Um, so my I have a couple of sort of like long term uh, freelance positions and the, the main one of which is that I'm the weekend editor for the week, which is a, a very confusing sentence, but the week is the name of uh, the outlet. It's a, a news magazine and I run the website on the weekends. Um, so I write there and, and other places around the internet. Um, I do a lot of coverage of like foreign policy and criminal justice reform issues, as well as um, some stuff on sort of the intersection of religion and politics, especially um, that's been a, a, you know, a big topic in the last two years. And, and I, I cover that and talk a lot about um, civil religion and what that looks like with American Christianity and that sort of thing. Awesome. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your spiritual upbringing and uh, give, give us a little bit of background onto the evolution and the unfolding of your story, you know, going back a ways and uh, catch us up to a little bit of where you are right now and what's going on with you there. Sure. Um, so I, I grew up in, in church, or I, I should say a lot of different churches. Um, we, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I think it's something like eight or nine times before I finished high school. So, you know, going to, to different uh, states and cities meant different congregations. Um, for the most part, my upbringing was uh, pretty typically evangelical. Um, we went to uh, mostly non-denominational churches. When we were with the denomination, it was it was typically Baptist. Um, and and theologically, the the non-denominational churches were basically the same as the Baptists, just without you know the conference attached. Um, yeah. So, so that was my background. I, I went to mostly Christian schools as well. So um, I was sort of encountering um, you know peers from other traditions within Christianity, but I didn't necessarily have a, a clear idea of, you know, why, why their tradition was different from my own. Um, and I, I sort of doubt that they did either. Um, so then, uh, after I went to a, a church of the brethren school for college, um, not that I was, I was seeking that out, but that was where I ended up. And that was my first encounter with a, a historic peace church, um, to any great extent. And so, um, since college, um, in the, in the first few years after I graduated, I, I did a lot of, um, working through theological issues where I had questions, um, violence and war was a big one. Uh, roles of women was another, the atonement was a third. Um, and, and after that process, I, I ended up in a Mennonite context. And so my husband and I are, are members at a Mennonite church today, and we've been there, uh, almost five years, and that's where we uh, expect to continue to be. Very cool. So you've got this new book out. It's called A Flexible Faith. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what was the motivation be behind this book, and, and what, what, is your, uh, what is your hope for this book? 
Yeah, so I, I've always sort of thought of it um, in terms of the hope and motivation uh, as being linked to sort of two audiences that I had in mind when I was writing. And so the first audience would be um, for Christians who are in a season of questions or doubt or um, aptly for this podcast, deconstruction, um, people who are going through that that process of, you know, the, the faith maybe that you were raised in or that you were converted into um, is no longer sitting comfortably like you have these questions. And so for those Christians, I wanted to provide, or, or even for people who, you know, maybe aren't Christians at all, but are curious about, you know, what this whole church thing is about. For those people, I wanted to provide sort of a very accessible, um, compact resource that says like, all right, you've got these questions. Did you know there are multiple answers on this within Christianity? And so let's take a look at those in a, as even handed away as possible. And then, um, you know, meet Christians who are living out their faith differently from ways you've encountered. Um, and then to provide resources for those people to, to learn more about the issues that are especially troubling to them. Um, and then the second audience um, that I had in mind was Christians who are, are not in that phase of deconstruction. They're, you know, good with their church context. They're not in a moment of theological crisis, um, but who, you know, maybe don't have a very good idea of, of what Christians and other traditions believe, um, which I think is a really easy place to end up in if we're happy with our, our own place theologically. We just sort of don't pay much attention to what, you know, all these other other Christians, um, even in our own, even in our own cities, um, how they're working out their faith. And I think that that's so tragic because it, it can become a real impediment to, to working together as the whole body of Christ, because it leads us to, to sort of think, well, you know, are they really Christians? Can I really work with them to help mm. people in need? I don't know. Um, so those are sort of the, the two readers that I had in mind. And, and my hope for both is to get a better grasp of sort of the, the church uh, writ large and, and the, the diversity that, that does exist within small O orthodoxy. I, I love one of the quotes just to kind of stay on this, on this, um, on this thought. Um, I love one of the quotes you have at the beginning of the book where you say, and what we all too often forget is that even in really serious disagreements, both sides are still Christians. Maybe they can't attend the same local church, but they're equally part of the church universal. Maybe they'll never agree on a single version of Christianity, but that's okay. A vibrant diverse diversity within Christian orthodoxy, which is simply to say a range of different ways to faithfully follow Jesus is a strength of our faith, not a weakness. So what, what, what do you mean by that? I, I love that idea, but I'd, I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so mostly what I mean is that I think it's, it, there's, there's a core of, of beliefs um, that are sort of definitional to what it means to be a Christian. And in the book, I talk about this in terms of thinking about our faith in terms of concentric circles. So it's like the target logo, Jesus, the person of Jesus, God in the flesh is at the center. And then the smallest circle around the center is what we can call dogmas. And those are just the super basic beliefs that say like what God is like and what he wants from us. Um, I think like the apostles creed is a good encapsulation of that. Where if someone says, tell me the, just give me a rough sketch of what Christianity is about. That's what you'd say. But beyond that, like the vast majority of things we believe as Christians, there are options on the on that subject. Um, the church has never had a single viewpoint on on these the 
vast majority of what we talk about when we talk about theology. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, certainly if, if we could know like with a hundred percent certainty, because God, like, I don't know, wrote with a skywriter in the sky and was like, look, this is the right viewpoint. That would be great. Um, but given that he's not going to do that and given that we're not going to have that certainty, you know, until, um, the resurrection, until the, the world as we know it is over. Um, I think that there's a, it's a, it's a good thing to know these, these different debates and these different perspectives that have happened within our faith, especially for those circumstances where we find that, that a perspective we used to hold, we can no longer hold. Um, because I think at that point, understanding that there's these different viewpoints can become something of a lifeline to say, you know, I don't have to give up on this whole Christianity thing just because I don't hold it exactly the way I did before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just love, you know, what you're saying here because you're, you're permitting um, participation and you're giving people room. My, kind of the thing that I always encountered as a pastor and then I still encounter now, just not even just on the podcast, but when I'm just talking with friends, family, you know, and, and then essentially here too, is you meet with people that, you know, a lot of them really embrace this idea of, I would like to be able to explore more. I would like to be able to ask questions more. And there's people that find that very comforting. Then there's other people that find that um, really scary and they find that really threatening and, and you get very, very defensive. I'm wondering, um, have, how have you kind of met both of those types of people and how, how best can we start to just, uh, from a posture, handle um, people that get really, really defensive when you start to say things like there, there isn't just one way to view Christianity. Um, how, what are some ways that we can start to, to have that conversation almost mechanically? Like what can we do to, to engage some of these people that uh, it's really tough on them and they get really frightened and nervous? Yeah, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that the, the title of flexible faith has sort of highlighted that dichotomy because flexible can be a good or bad thing, right? Depending on the context in which you use it. And so for people who are looking to explore, like they res- tend to respond to flexible very positively. And then people who are, are you know, tending to be more defensive, they hear flexible and they think like, you know, you wouldn't want your building's foundation to be flexible. That's a bad thing. Right. Um, which I'm always tempted to bring up, um, you know, like if you're building buildings to survive earthquakes, you, you do build in a certain flexibility. Um, but anyway, hey, to your, to your question. Like, uh, gotcha. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> your question. Um, the, the thing that I've found most effective, and it's by no means like a cure-all, but the thing I've found most effective is to talk about uh, sort of the, the different stakes in different questions about theology. So like a question of, of, for example, are there animals in heaven? Something like that. Like it's a, it's a question I want to think about. For the record, I think there are. Um, I think we can all as Christians recognize, like, you know, this is not core to our faith. Like we can agree to disagree on this and we can, you know, even be in the same church or small group or house as someone who disagrees with us on the question of animals in heaven. Um, and so I think it helps to, to sort of stake out at the one extreme, you have questions like that. At the other extreme, you have like the person of Christ, you have these core dogma issues and say, look, there is a spectrum here. Like not every issue is of equal importance to our faith. Not every issue 
um, you know, really gets at the core of who God is and, and what God is like and, and how he expects to interact with us. Um, and addressing, coming at things from that manner, I found can help to sort of say like, all right, let's take a breath. How important is what we're talking about? And then when we've realized that in the vast majority of cases, it's, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's important. We want to know the truth. We want to do our best to, to be right and, and faithful in this matter. But it's probably not like a issue that if we disagree, we're going to call the other person a heretic. It's probably not at that level. Um, and I think that perspective can really help um, just sort of settle everybody down and, and talk about things a little bit more um, openly and a little bit more calmly and without quite that automatic defensiveness. Yeah. But what about the times? And I totally agree. I completely appreciate mm-hmm. that. What about the times where you are talking about something like, you know, that's it's a little bit more personal. Um, a lot of times the people that end up wanting to question, it really comes down to things like uh, hot political issues like sexual orientation mm-hmm. or heaven or hell or the atonement or uh, inerrancy of scripture, which they would say are very core beliefs. But then, as you point out in the book, in a lot of cases, you know, there's not one <laughs> position on, <laughs> on all of these things in Christianity. And we just can't go around excommunicating everybody <laughs> everywhere and calling everybody a heretic. So, um, yeah, I would just love to hear some more thoughts on, you know, yeah, when, when the issue's I mean, a little hotter. It's not easy. And especially I think, um, same sex relationships and, and roles of women, because they are so closely connected to identity. Those in particular can be very difficult to talk about, um, you know, with, without, getting that emotional investment for, for obvious reasons. And I don't think that's, it's not wrong to have that emotional investment. It just makes things trickier perhaps. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that there's, there's any way to, to diffuse every situation. I, I do think what you brought up about, we can't just excommunicate people is key. That's always the temptation, especially when we're talking remotely, like on the internet or God forbid on Twitter. Um, (laughs) I think that's always the the temptation. Um, What, what I, for myself, at least um, what I try to remind myself of is twofold. One, that the vast majority of issues, again, are not grounds for calling someone a heretic. They might be grounds for calling someone wrong. And, you know, if, if we're convicted that someone is wrong and we have good reason to back that up, by all means, say they're wrong. And I'm not against that. Um, but to, to leave out the heretic accusation, because it's so it's so fraught for someone to say, like, oh, you're not a real Christian um, whenever possible. Uh, the other thing, though, is is just even even in cases when I, I and these are very rare, but even in cases where I, I would think. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to get into heresy territory here. And, it, you know, it's it's not our job as, as humans to, to judge someone's heart. And so, while I don't think we have to end every conversation like best friends. And we don't, um, as you read in that quote, we don't have to be able to go to the same church service together. Um, at a certain point, I think we all have to recognize, like, it's not my call to make is this person in right relationship with God? What's the state of their soul? And as whatever other disagreements we may have, we're not in a position to make that pronouncement. Uh, again, no matter how much we may may want to on Twitter.
my experience on Twitter is that it brings out the best in people, but all the time, yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, um, <sighs> what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really the only appropriate response to yeah, Oy. yeah. So, <laughs> so I and Christian Twitter especially is oh, yeah. like so scary. I would far rather get in trouble with like political Twitter for something I wrote about the news than like Christian Twitter. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, like when you're, you know, talking about the interpretation of a human document and the constitution and, you know, it's all like, we do get a say in this, it's kind of built into who we are as Americans. But then, you know, when you go to like scripture and it's like allegedly inerrant, but we haven't really agreed on how we got there or what that means. And eternal destiny is at stake (laughs) people get super mad (laughs) well so i want to i want to follow that that thought and i want to i want to talk about so you you set your book up you you assembled it in such a way that i thought was really interesting and i thought this is really cool the way she kind of constructed this um in a way that it's it's almost like a uh conversation in, in book form. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about the thought process that went into how you constructed each chapter um, based on different theological ideas. And I mean, there's some history in there. There's um, you infuse your own, your own positions in there uh, occasionally just to let people know kind of where you're at. And I, I thought that was really a creative way to do it. So what, what went, went into the, uh, the thought process behind how you did that? Sure. So for the the main chapters, and I think there's 17 of them. um, Yeah, 17 that each address a single a single theological question. So, you know, like what happens at the end of the world? Uh, How did we get here? Just being a Christian make you stop sinning. For those, I I wanted to hit sort of the the major questions that I think come up for people. I sort of, you know, looked around at, at other books and, and book series. I think uh, Zondervan, I want to say, publishes a series called like Four. They're not. It's not always Four Views, but it's usually like Four Views on Hell, and it's like a book length treatment of what I've done in a single chapter. Um, except for there, they'll have like four writers, and then each person is advocating the view they actually hold, and they interact with each other. It's very interesting. It's also a much longer read, um, but. <laughs> So for, for those for those chapters, I, I was essentially trying to, you know, do a, a pretty broad survey of what are the, the questions that people are asking and then what are sort of the main uh, viewpoints held within the, the historic uh, church across Catholic, Orthodox, and, and Protestant lines. And I also wanted to get sort of a more personal glimpse of the church in its entirety, and then I fully admit and will be the first to say that it's um, only a glimpse and that it's, you know, inherently very much limited and, and obviously influenced by my own interests and perspectives. Um, but that was the motivation for including a historical profile in, each, in every chapter, um, someone who's noteworthy in church history in one way or another and who did or said or wrote something relevant to the topic at hand. Um because especially for Protestants, I think we're, we're terrible at church history and we're, we're very ignorant of the people who have come before us. I know my own church history education sort of had like Jesus and then a rough sketch of the first century and then nothing until uh, the Reformation and then nothing until like Jonathan Edwards with the spider sermon, um, <laughs> which is just not great. 
Uh, no, and then, no, not his best, uh, not his best an, moment. No, but then in addition to that, I also wanted to sort of get a look at the church today around the world. Um, and so then that was the, the motivation for including in between the chapters, these brief uh, question and answer uh, interviews with Christians who are, are working out their faith in more unusual ways. Um, people that, you know, maybe you've heard of, you're, you're curious about, but realistically, you're probably not going to meet even if you're in church your entire life, you just may never cross these people. And so people, monastics from different traditions, um, a Seventh-day Adventist, a common first community member, all sorts of people um, that I thought were interesting and, and people that I sort of surveyed about who should be included thought were interesting as well. Yeah, I, I just, I, I really love how you lay it out too. I think it makes for, for great discussion. I think it makes for, it's, you write very humbly and I, like in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, in chapter four, which I think is like, I don't know, it's like really getting to the meat of what a lot of people, when they go through deconstruction, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many people we've talked to on this podcast because of this podcast. And it really all came down to the fact that they were just not sure about the whole like, formula of Jesus and dying and hell and how that all works. And when you actually start to peel that back and you realize, wait a second, you mean there's more than one way to look at this? And all of, all of a sudden things start to feel very, very shaky. So um, I wonder, you know, I, I don't want to give everything away, but uh, that's, a, that's a really important chapter. And, you know, you've probably had a bunch of conversations with people um, about that. Uh, how how high on the list of importance do you think that is to, to people? And, and, and what is it about understanding that there's more than one way to look at this that could help us um, be a more loving, um, yeah. be a more loving church? I mean, that it's interesting. You highlight that one. I would say that to me is the most important chapter in the book, the chapter on atonement and how Jesus dying means we can be saved. Um, that's what I wrote my master's thesis on. Uh, and I think it's, I mean, to be honest, if, if I were convinced that penal substitution was the only way to understand, like, the atonement, I, I don't know that I would want to stay a Christian at that point. Um, if I was convinced that that was true, I might just want to be out, even if, even if I thought that it was real. Um, so... Yeah, for me that, that yeah. yeah, for me that was huge um, in terms of the development of my own faith, and and I think that there are a lot of issues in the book. Um, so baptism, for example, people are aware that there are different views on baptism. Some are people baptize adults, some people baptize babies. People sort of you know may not know all the reasons behind that, but they know that that difference exists. With atonement, and I think it's so strange because it's so central to everything that we're about, um, many people don't realize that there are even different interpretations of this, that there are different theories of this. We sort of assume, like, you know, the Bible tells the story, and so we know what it means. Um, and we'll mix metaphors. There, like, there will be hymns that one verse is one theory and the other verse is a totally different theory, and they don't really match. Um or we'll go, you know, from one song to the next, and they're telling totally different stories about what God was doing with the cross and how God the Father relates to us. Um, and it's just, I, I, I think it's terrible that we don't 
like approach this in a, in a more explicit manner and talk about this in a more explicit manner, because then when you find out, and I think for most people, it typically, typically happens as adults. Um, when you find out that there are differences of opinions on this, it's like, what? Like, yeah. this is so core and you're telling me there's disagreement. Um, <laughs> that should not come as a, a terrible surprise. Like we need to be getting out ahead of that one and saying like, let's talk about this you know, before it totally changes your world. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I to actually have two, two questions. Um, one, you know, personally, you said you wrote your master's thesis on this. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if you said that in the book, but I didn't catch that. Um, so you must I have like, I bragged about it in the bio. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> um, but this, you're right. This is like probably the most important chapter. This is what a lot of, um, people get stuck on and I'm sure you've got kind of a personal story as far as like what that was like for you when that became like a, huh, there's what? Like how did the questioning of that start for you and and how did you um, change and evolve as you, as you learned more? Yeah. um, So that was one of the few chapters where I did share my own view. Um, And as I mentioned there, you know, I'm not sure that it was, I ever had like a moment of crisis um, which is significantly just about like my personality and not about like the shock of the, the finding out that there's disagreement on this. Um, so I, you know, I grew up reading like the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, which very much tells a Chris Victor story of atonement. Yeah. Um, I, I always really loved that story and I, I really loved, you know, the way it was presented. Um, but then at the same time, I was in third case where it was very much penal substitution. Um, in fact, I, in my elementary years, enjoyed uh, Carmen. Do you guys remember him? <laughs> oh, yeah. He had that courtroom video. Oh, let's not talk about Carmen, it. <laughs> Carmen played all the roles, and he was like God and Jesus and the devil all at once. Yes. Um, and it was basically like a terrible music video of penal substitution. Um, so we are 100 percent gonna find that on youtube and put the youtube link to that video in the show notes of, <laughs> oh i mean people need to know they need to know <laughs> they need to be schooled so, yeah but uh, so i was i was familiar with with you know, substitution in, in that form and also in more normal and less troubling forms um, but yeah so i i think it, it must have been in in my uh, early twenties, I would say that I, I came across you know that there are actual different different formal viewpoints on this, um, and I think because I encountered the debate before I got to a point of crisis, um, it became and because I had you know that background with with C.S. Lewis of, of being familiar and being drawn to the Christus Victor perspective, um, it was sort of an easy transition of when I read about it in, you know, like a grown up, not child story, theological context, I was like, oh, like, that's what's true. Like, that's, that's what God is like. Um, And clearly this penal substitution story I've been hearing is that's not it. That's not the God depicted in Christ, um, revealed in Christ. And so I was able to, to sort of like latch on to, um, this other perspective that I, I was sort of familiar with without, you know, reaching a, a point of feeling like I needed to reconsider whether I could stay Christian or not. Um, but it was very easy for me to see even then, 
you know, what if I had started thinking more critically about penal substitution before figuring out or before finding out there were the other options, it, it wouldn't have been good. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some of the other topics that, that you kind of tossed around in terms of what to include in the book? And, um, like, how did you come to, you know, like some sort of agreement on, and this is the list of topics I'm going to include. And what were the ones that you felt most strongly about? Like, I, I definitely need to include these in here and talk about these. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I, I did look at other books that sort of cover these sorts of debates and, and try to pay attention to, you know, what have other people thought were, were worth um, outlining these differences. I would say the biggest difference between my list and other lists, whether in other books or other series of books, is that the list I fell on has more of what, and this is not a great term, but I haven't figured out a better one, um, more of what I would call sort of lifestyle issues. Um, and so, for example, are Christians allowed to be rich, like looking at wealth and poverty, or um, should Christians vote, or uh, uh, until relatively recently, you know, the, the question of gay relationship, I don't think that was as widely addressed. Um, so those sorts of things that are, that are going to be impacting how we're living our day-to-day life, as opposed to um, being more on the intellectual side. I wanted to make sure to include those. And then um, I also, I think, was paying extra attention to questions of sort of um, uh, where we end up. <laughs> um, the the atonement issue is part of that. Um, the question of the destiny of the unevangelized, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus, um, the question of hell, and even the end of the world, the eschatology stuff, I think, um, those four chapters I sort of see as a, uh, a unit, even though, uh, the atonement chapter comes much earlier than the rest. Um, but I think those are, are an important issue for a lot of people, questions of, you know, how is our eternal fate decided and who's doing the deciding and, and what will that fate be? I think those are, are very, uh, unsettling questions for people many times when it's the, the first time they start thinking about them. Mm. Oh man, I, I could ask you like 10 questions about that, but I have one queued up here and I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> There's so many interesting things there. First of all, I, I want to say on a personal note, I so appreciate your C.S. Lewis nerdiness because <laughs> uh, my favorite book of all time, all time still, is The Great Divorce. So good. So, so good. I mean, I've read all this stuff. He's my, he's my homeboy. But um, I, let's talk about hell since I brought up The Great Divorce. Let's talk sure. about hell. We, we've talked about it so much in the show. We've dedicated whole months to hell <laughs> right around Halloween just to be, just to be, just to be tongue in cheek. We have interviewed uh, your good friend, um, Greg Boyd. We've interviewed, you know, Sharon Baker. Um, oddly enough, we've had Rob Bell on here, but we never talked about hell with him. No, no. Um, huh. probably, probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so, I mean, this again, it's because it dovetails so much right into the question about how are we saved? Because then it's like, oh, okay, saved. And then, you know, from what to what? And how does that work later? And what are we talking about here? So um, take us on a little journey into, you know, some of these ideas and how these conversations go with people. Because again, this is one of the ones that I've realized. It's like people want to put it in the, in the center of these concentric circles so much they think it has to be in the center. 
And a lot of times people are just shocked when they hear that people that they probably really respect, i.e. like a C.S. Lewis, maybe, exactly, maybe yeah. don't agree with them. They're like, wait, what? So you mean Rob Bell yeah. wasn't the first person to ask that question? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. One. <laughs> and I mean, I think the, the C.S. Lewis example is great because he's like the Protestant Pope forever. And so, you know, anytime that he disagrees from sort of, uh, you know, standard, I guess, American evangelicalism, he can be like, but look, C.S. Lewis thought differently about this. And then it's like, well, maybe we need to consider this. <laughs> it's like a mic drop. It's like, I, I just, yeah, C.S. Lewis. So you're going to argue with C.S. Lewis? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so for the, the chapter on hell, I, and as in every chapter, there are no doubt more, you know, lesser known views that were not included, but sort of the four big views that I covered. Um, the first one is called the classical view, and that's essentially um, eternal conscious torment um, with or without fire. The fire is not really necessary. We typically picture it with the fire, though. Um, and that's that's the view that I was raised uh, hearing about it's, it's sort of like the Hollywood conception of hell. It's, it's the main one that most people are familiar with. Um, the second view is called annihilationism. And the idea there is essentially that after some just and appropriate period of punishment, um, whatever that may be, God mercifully puts the, the condemned out of existence. And so you know, as Christians, we affirm that it, we only continue to exist and have being because God sustains us. And so it would make sense that if you're eternally separated from God, eventually you're going to cease existing. Um, the third view is some sort of purgatorial hell. And this can be with or without a separate purgatory location, um, as in the classic expression of Catholic doctrine. Um, but the idea is that, uh, you know, our our process of redemption does not necessarily have to end at death, uh, especially when you consider that, that God conquered, God in Christ conquered death. So why would he be bound by that deadline if he didn't want to be? Um, and so after some, some period of, um, suffering in a, in a purifying way, um, the suffering can end and, and people can be reconciled with God, um, after a time in hell. And then the final view that I shared is the Eastern Orthodox perspective, which is super interesting um, because it doesn't operate on a, in a spatial way where hell is a separate location from God, the way all of the, the Western church views do. And so the Eastern Orthodox say that when we die, everyone is put into God's presence. Um, and whether we experience that as heaven or hell depends on our orientation towards God. And so if we're in right relationship with God, we experience God's love and warmth and comfort. And if we're in and light, and if we're not, if we've rejected God, we experience that same warmth um, and light as burning, searing pain and suffering. Yeah, there's so many different ways to look at this. So yes, and yeah, the the Eastern Orthodox one. I think I'm thinking about it too literally, but I always wonder, like, but can you see the other people? are experiencing it differently than you that would make me really uncomfortable I if i was having a I great day i don't <laughs> i don't think you're supposed to think about it that literally i'm pretty sure but that's always my mind. i mean I've, I've got my feet up i'm reading the great divorce in heaven i've got an ice cold Lacroix. i'm just like feeling so <laughs> so hugged by god right now 
<laughs> and this dude next to me that's screaming is just ruining my day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think it can work like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to make it's just funny, you know, because we do try to over, you know, we can't help it, especially as Westerners, to over literalize, you know, everything. I think one of the things that I love about your book, which is um, I don't want to, you know, say that you're trying to do this. Maybe you're not. But one of the things that I get out of it um, experientially and personally when somebody approaches these issues the way that you're doing it is you're just you're just giving me permission to to not be so worried about it because i think that one of the things that we've done as westerners um usually usually kind of white academic you know post-reformed guys like <laughs> me and john uh, <laughs> oftentimes statistically speaking um we're so, we we've so confused um cognitive beliefs and having them in, you know, a certain way with a certain fervor with faith, like we've made those two things somehow equal and they're, and they're just not. I think a lot of times when we're trying so desperately to understand everything, we're almost, without knowing it, we're negating the idea of faith, not necessarily strengthening it. And I, I think that what you're doing there is you're, by saying this is a flexible faith, it's like the faith doesn't go away by how much or how little you understand it or how, how much or how little your understanding meshes exactly with the other person's understanding, the faith can still be there. They're not the same thing. That's just, yeah, I think that's, that's true. And I, it's difficult because we want to hold a, a balance, right. Between on the one hand saying, you know, there, there is truth and we are pursuing that and we do want to, you know, have the right beliefs as much as possible. Um, but then on the other side, we, we don't want to make that into make the beliefs themselves an idol. And we don't want to, um, especially on these issues of Western importance, we don't want to be breaking fellowship with fellow Christians because they disagree or, or even just behaving in an unloving manner because, you know, someone we think they're wrong. Um, and it's hard to do, it's hard to have that balance, um, to, to be living in aiming for faith as opposed to just complete uh, exclusive certainty mm. that feels obliged to constantly go around saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And we can't run this soup kitchen together. Right. 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 You guys are going to have to wait to get this soup because we're in the middle of a conversation here. You just said something really interesting. Uh, you said the idolatry of belief or making beliefs an idol uh, for people that maybe aren't familiar with that language, you know, that weren't all churchy like we all were, uh, what, what do you mean by that? Because I think that's a really important thing uh, to talk about that I think you're subverting in this book in a really beautiful way. But the idolatry of belief, like, what, what do you mean by that? How, why is that a problem? Yeah, so essentially what I mean is that, um, well, let me step back for a second. So I think that we have an unfortunate thing in, in, in English, which is that we don't have we have faith only as a noun and not as a verb. And so when we want to express that we have faith in something, we say, I believe. Um, mm. But belief tends to be about ideas, whereas faith is much more about trust. Um, it's more personal. And so um, to say I have faith in Christ, I, I would say in, in English, it's better to express it as I have trust in Christ as opposed to I believe in Christ. Um, because it's about a, a person, not you know the idea of a person. Um, and so when we focus on, on belief as opposed to faith, um, and specifically like getting all of our beliefs exactly right, 
I think we can start to idolize our own rightness as opposed to actually worshiping God and, and the person that we're supposed to be having faith in. Into the night Along with my thoughts again Trying to find you there It takes me some time So good. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> So uh, just out of curiosity, I just uh, wanted to get, get your personal opinion on this. But what do you make of the fact that like we're able to have conversations like this now? We're, we're not uh, del- delusional to think that we're the only ones out there who are hosting a podcast of this nature. You know, there's a, there's a ton of others out there, and we've become good friends with a lot of them. Uh, but there's, there seems to be not only an audience, but there seems to be a hunger uh, that, that people have where a lot of the folks who, who listen to shows like these um, are in a position where they could have easily let go. They could easily fall into the category of an atheist or agnostic, but there's something that's still, still kind of pulling them towards some life of faith. They're, they're still looking for something. Um, but now, uh, but before, I think, you know, like even 10 years ago, it was difficult to even have these types of conversations. I mean, all the evidence you need is Love Wins comes out, this book where, you know, this, this, little known guy named Rob Bell, you know, just says, Hey, well, maybe there's some other alternate theories on, on hell and almost loses his career and his livelihood. Whereas I, I, I think, and, and maybe, maybe you might disagree, but I think if that book came out today, it wouldn't be nearly as big of a deal. Yeah. I, I think it would still be controversial, but I, I don't think it would be at the same level that it was then by any means. I'm curious, do you see your book at all as controversial? <laughs> um, I'm sure there are people who would say that it is. Maybe because I'm, you know, just not famous enough. It hasn't uh, <laughs> inspired that sort of anger. Um, oh, you will be after this podcast. We're going to tweet, farewell, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> quite the same ring to it because my last name doesn't rhyme i thought that that was i know you know just farewell rob bell it works in a way that farewell bonnie doesn't Um, (laughs) that's true i'd pay i'd pay cash money for that tweet right now to me (laughs) i would pay for it (laughs) i uh i recognize you know and i understand the perspective of people who would find what i've written controversial um So I would emphasize that basically nothing in this book is unique to me. Like uh, I put it in one place, but I didn't come up with it. The debate existed beforehand in many cases for centuries, millennia. Um, And so, you know, I would hope that just in aggregating it would not be that controversial. Um, Yeah. But but yeah, I, I, I recognize and I I understand. And I, I think that, um, the sort of people who, you know, defensiveness and the sort of people who would find sort of presenting this debate, um, these debates to be controversial. Um, I, I think in, certainly not all, but I think in many cases, there's a, a good intention there of people who want to defend the truth. And, you know, if you, you think you have the right perspective, why would you want to share the wrong perspectives? Um, and why would you want to tell people that there's disagreement on this? 
And I think the answer, and especially from a pastoral perspective, like I understand that hesitancy. Um, and I would say the reason why you want to share there's disagreement on this is because you never know when you or someone you love is going to reach a point where they, they say, I just can't with intellectual honesty, accept what you've been telling me about this. So I guess I'm leaving the church. Um, right. I would say, you know, you need to talk about these things and be open about this disagreement so that if someone comes to you and says, I, I can't accept this anymore, you say, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm disappointed about that. I think we have the right viewpoint here. But did you know Christians can disagree on this issue? And let's talk about what that looks like. I love what you said about how, and it's so important because we love to, we love to jest and, and more than anything, just to cut the tension, not to be uh, jerks at all or anything like that. But so many people, family members, friends, um, old, old acquaintances, uh, fervently believe what they believe because they're being integrous. You know, they, they're, they're being people of integrity. You know, if they, if they really believe that, you know, this is the way it has to be and they, they're convinced in some way that this is the truth, then they're being true. They're being true to who they are and they deserve respect. And um, that's something that's really missing in the conversation. And I think that you're somebody that's really helping that in a big way. Um, the old uh, Ken Wilber statement that we thought was a Richard Rohr statement and then we found it was a Ken Wilber statement. The whole like tr- transcend and include. Um, really tough to do, but it's an exercise that we should all be striving towards. And I, th- I love what you said there. And I think it was worth highlighting. Yeah. And I, I mean, certainly I, I don't expect that I've you know, solved, solved anything, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully making, um, those conversations easier and, and, you know, especially for people who maybe have, have gone through a process of deconstruction or are now at a new place. Um, to, to explain the old viewpoints for them, the old viewpoints that they've left in a, you know, a reasonably fair and charitable manner that maybe, you know, certainly they're not going to go back to that perspective and that's good and fine, but maybe they can understand why the people who stayed did so and, and interact with them, um, in a way that's still productive and good, even if you're not going to go back. Yeah, I think I think one of the important things that you say at the very outset of your book um, is one of my favorite quotes in the book that'll inevitably end up on our on our um, social media feed at some point. But <laughs> it, you you say if there's a version of Christianity someone can accept, why would we present them uh, only with a version they have to reject? And I think, I mean, to sum up your book, I think that's really the heart of it, right? Like, like why? I, I think that's the way Adam and I have, have tried to approach it. Uh, because it's it's very easy to slide into this position of well uh, we're rejecting the 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 life of faith and the theology that we grew up with um, and and to uh, create a wall between us and and the the, the folks who maybe taught us those things um, it's a lot harder to continue a conversation with them even though you may not agree theologically any longer yeah it's it's tricky um especially when it's, you know, like family relationships. Um, I, I don't think that I've moved that scheme of things from, uh, the traditions that I grew up with. Um, certainly there are some, some big differences, but for the most part, I would say it's still fairly close given the range that's out there. Um, but I know that, uh, like my mom, for example, thinks that I'm just a, a raging theological liberal and there's so many <laughs> things that I've changed my mind on. And, and so, um, yeah, suffice it to say, I have plenty of firsthand experience with trying to 
um, you know, maintain good theological conversations when uh, in at least one party's mind, there is now this big difference between you. Sure. Yeah. So before we let you go, one of the questions that we, that we used to like to ask, and I think it, it applies here. Um, I, I think based on your work and, and based off of this book, which um, I think I encourage everyone to go out and pick up a flexible faith by Bonnie Christian. Um, but one of the questions we used to like to ask um, that I like to ask you now is, um, you know, if, if we could gather all of the listeners up into one room uh, who are all um, just very hesitant to re-engage in, in any type of life of faith, um, and you had the opportunity to, to say a few words to them, what, what would you say? Oh man, that's a, that's a big question. And I feel like this is the sort of thing you should have warned me about when we were talking before. And I was like, Oh, maybe you should warn me. <laughs> it's on your shoulders. No, I, mean, I, I, I think I would say something very similar to, to the quote you just read about if there's a version of faith that you can accept, you know, don't only encounter the one you have to reject. Um, it's difficult, um, to, to make, to dive into sort of a process of, of reconstruction and re-exploring faith, especially if you're at a, a point of you know, some degree of like spiritual trauma, like you've, you, maybe your whole, um, view of the world has been shaken and it's hard to, to decide I'm going to stick this out and I'm going to, you know, keep looking into this and, and see, what it would mean for me to, to be faithfully following Jesus and, and how that would look like and how it fit and, and what sort of community I could fit into. Um, but I would just encourage people that the, the church is really big and there are a lot of ways of doing this. And most of us have just, even after writing this book, I feel like I still have a very small perspective on, on what the church universal looks like. Um, and so, yeah, having to leave one congregation, one denomination, it, it, you've left a tiny piece of the church, and there is so much more to still go exploring. Mm, well said. So I, I want people to go out and get this book. I think it's fantastic. Um, so what's, what's the easiest way for people to go out and get a copy, and what's the easiest way for people to stay on top of what you're up to? Sure. Um, so it's on Amazon and, you know, all the major retailers. Um, if you go to my website, which is bonniechristian.com, um, there's a, a link right at the top um, for a slash book that has direct links to all the places to buy it. Um, and that's also a good place to keep up with what I'm writing elsewhere um, and my, my Twitter handle which again, if we must be there, which apparently we must, is also just uh, at Bonnie Christian. Um, and so there's a, if you, if you tweet things that are, you know, reasonably nice at me, I will reply. And uh, there's also a, a question box on my website where you can send in a message. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. This has been an absolute pleasure for us. Um, yeah. We think you're doing great work and just keep, Keep doing what you're doing, and, uh, and uh, we, we hope to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for all you're doing, Thank Bonnie, you. and thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Yep, we'll see you out there. Good stuff. What a delightful conversation. Yes. No, I love it, man. I, I love... so being the nerd that I am and wanting to know 
the answers and the reasons behind everything and uh, the history behind things and how a thought came to fruition and all, uh, all that sort of thing. This book was like right up my alley. Um, just like looking through like, you know, some of the things like I, I've always wondered what it meant to be Quaker. Yeah. You know, so like. It means you eat a lot of oatmeal. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but like all the different resources she puts in here and like, it's just very edible bite-sized uh, chapters where she introduces different thoughts and ideas um, within the wide sea of Christianity. Um, it's amazing. Over time. It's just, it's a really fun read. It's a, it's, I love everything you just said. And I think it's spot on because most people like how often, and I just think this is hilarious too. How often does some, do you, are you talking to somebody and maybe they actually know about our podcast or something and they're like, oh my gosh, how do you have time to read all that and become an expert in all these things? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. <laughs> I'm, I am a Cliff Notes summarizer at best. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we do not know a lot. Yeah. We're not reading theological tomes here, but people have this perception that if I'm going to have this diverse knowledge of all the different kind of ways of thinking about this, that I'm going to need to read towers of books. And that's just not true because we've got wonderful people like Bonnie Christian doing all the work for us and putting it in a wonderful little book. Yeah. And as if that wasn't enough, it's got this incredible uh, forward written by one of our favorite people, two-time guest, Greg Boyd. Greg freaking Boyd. So, I mean, it's, I mean, the Ford enough, like I read the Ford, uh, obviously first. Um, and I was just like, oh man, this is really good without even realizing I hadn't even gotten into the actual book yet. Come in. I was like, yeah, I love it. Love everything you're saying. I'm in. This will be fun. Oh, this is Greg. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> this sounds like Greg Boyd. Oh, that's <laughs> Greg Boyd. Oh, <laughs> but that, yeah, that was a blast. I, it, it's never going to not be a part of who we are that look, we come from Christian stream I think we're still in a Christian stream. Like we, oh, absolutely, oh yeah, absolutely, more more traditional than ever. Yeah, it's <laughs> like we're just diving deeper into it and and exploring different perspectives and just having conversations about how to have conversations. Yeah, is going to just continually be what we're a part of here. And this was a perfect episode for that. I really really enjoyed it. And mm. what else? Um, just a big thank you to everybody um, who who's been uh, who's been listening, supporting us on social media, um, sending us really nice emails. Um, we're trying to get back to everybody, so we're so sorry. It's nothing personal if you haven't heard back from us yet. Uh, both of our, our, our lives are pretty pretty insane at, the, at this point, but we try to respond to everybody trying as best we can. So, uh, um, again, if you, uh, if you like the music this week, uh, support the artists, uh, support the, uh, the guests, go out, buy the books, um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Oh, you know what? I want to take time to say thank you to, to all the people who have helped us up until this point, uh, like... Uh, Jared Hevron, who took all of the stock photos of us that you see. Jay Heavy. Uh, Jay Heavy, who has left us for California. I get it. Winters here stink. So get it, man. Totally get it. But you know, guys like Ryan Battles, who who take care of our website. Um, other guys like uh, like Joe Ernst, uh, yep. who's designed T-shirts for us. Um, you know, and, and uh, um, anybody who's just helped us out along the way. Um, we we just. We we can't say how much we appreciate that uh, all the all the work you guys have have committed to the the project just because you believe in it and and you think that it's it's worth worth helping out. So thank um, you so we, much. We literally and I mean this doesn't this isn't said lightly. This wouldn't be happening. There's no way if we hadn't had a tidal wave 
continuous tidal waves of support and encouragement, would we ever just lock ourselves in, in a closet to read a bunch of books and just continue to crank out delicious content? <laughs> There's no way. There's no freaking way. Like every time any one of you encourages us, whether it's on social media, live, Twitter, whatever, anything, it is like, okay, all right, let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. I don't know how this is still happening, but let's keep doing it. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. So, um, yeah, with that, like we've got, uh, uh, a week off here and then, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for some of the guests that we have coming up. Um, we can't, we're not going to tell you, no, we're not, but, uh, just, just, uh, um, just, uh, just know that we've got some really cool topics coming up, and uh, we've been listening to your feedback. We've got some other guests that were uh, uh, listener suggestions coming up, and uh, we're really excited for, uh, for the rest of the summer and, and some of the, as, as Adam just put it, tasty treats we have. Tasty. Good juice. Just cooking. Just cooking. Good juice. Some <laughs> delicious juice. Um, yeah, again, we love you guys. Uh, grace and peace on all your journeys. Hope you're enjoying it and not stressing out about it. Um, keep listening. And we love you. Yeah. We're your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, guys. Mm-hmm.